Welcome to Beyond the Lines. I'm your host, Jason Davis. This is part two of a two-part episode on recruiting. In part one, I discussed the recruiting process, the roles that athletes and parents play in the process, and the financial aid aspect. I also had on a high school football coach who offered some information and gave us his take on the recruiting process. If you missed part one, I encourage you to go back, download it, and take a listen. Here in part two, I'll talk about topics such as the star rating, the periods in which college coaches and recruiters are allowed to contact a recruit, and what each of those periods mean. Also, I'll give some interesting facts about the recruiting process and much more. Later in the show, you'll hear from a recruit about his experience during the recruiting process and what led him to make the decision he made. When it comes to the star system when a player is being recruited, the words rating and ranking are used interchangeably, but they actually have different meanings. A star rating is based on a prospect's ability. The prospect's ranking measures his or her ability as it relates to other prospects in his or her class, position, state, etc. Services such as Rivals and 24-7 Sports rates players with a star rating between 2 and 5, with 5 being the best. Then the athlete is ranked based on the ranking criteria. A player's ranking can move up and down the rankings based on the movement of other players around them. For example, if a player moves up 10 spots in the ranking, that means 10 players move down one spot. So the star rating system goes as five star are the best players in the country. They're among the nation's top prospects in their prospective sport. They have outstanding athleticism and ability far beyond their peers. If an athlete has a four star rating, that means they have excellent knowledge of the game and ability, most likely to start the freshman year in college, and they're usually the best player in their club or high school team. A three-star rating means student-athlete shows dominance on the field and will be a good impact player. They have a few areas of development and might not always be consistent when competing against top-tier players. A one- and two-star recruit is sometimes overmatched against their peers. They have several areas of development. They have the potential to compete at the college level and could become reliable starters. So when it comes to the recruiting process, there's a lot of terms that are thrown around that becomes overwhelming and confusing. So what I'll do is I'll go through some of these terms. There's a contact period. That's a period in where a college coach may have face-to-face contact with a college-bound student-athlete or their parents. They can come watch the student-athletes compete and visit their high school. They may also write or call the student-athlete and his or her parents. Evaluation. It's an activity by a coach to evaluate your academic or athletic ability. This would include visiting your high school or watching your practices or your competitions. Evaluation period. The college coach may watch you play or visit your high school, but cannot have any in-person conversation with you or your parents off the college's campus. You and your parents can visit a college campus during this period. A coach may write and telephone you or your parents during this time. Now there's a quiet period. The college coach may not have any in-person contact with you or your parents off the college's campus. The coach may not watch you play or visit your high school during this period. You and your parents may visit a college campus during this time. A coach may write or telephone you or your parents during this time as well. Now there's a dead period as well. The coach may not have any in-person contact with you or your parents at any time in the dead period. The coach may only write and telephone you or your parents during this time. Now, you've heard things such as official visit and unofficial visit. An official visit is any visit to a college campus by you and your parents paid for by the college. You are not permitted to take any official visits until after the first day of class of your senior year of high school. The college may pay for the following expenses. They'll pay for transportation to and from the college. They'll cover the room and meals, which are three meals per day, while you're visiting college, and reasonable entertainment expenses, including three complimentary admissions to a home game. Now, in order to take an official visit, the athlete must have a valid score from a PSAT, SAT, or an ACT test, must have a valid high school transcript, and verification that you're registered with the NCAA Eligibility Center. At the different division levels, there's different numbers of official visits allowed. In the Division I level, there's five total. Division II level, it's unlimited. 
And at the Division III level, it's unlimited, and you're allowed to take more than one official visit at any school. Now, an unofficial visit is any visit by you and your parents to a college campus paid for by you or your parents. The only expense you may receive from the college is three complimentary home tickets. The school may provide you with one meal in the school's on-campus dining facility. You may take as many unofficial visits as you like and at any time. The only time you cannot talk with a coach during an unofficial visit is during the dead period. In part one of this episode, Coach Perez and I talked about athletes using social media such as Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to help build their brand and help get recruited. Well, they can also use things such as text messaging, which NCAA considers electronic messaging. Now, different sports have different dates in which electronic messaging can occur. For men's basketball, electronic correspondence can begin June 15th after the sophomore year. For women's basketball, electronic correspondence can begin September 1st of the junior year. In football, it's September 1st of the junior year. Men's ice hockey can begin January 1st of the sophomore year. Lacrosse and softball can begin September 1st of the junior year. And baseball can begin September 1st of the junior year. All other sports, electronic correspondence can begin June 15th between your sophomore and junior year in high school. At the Division II level, texting is allowed on or after June 15th of a prospect's sophomore year. At the Division III level, electronic correspondence is not regulated by date or frequency. So let's hear from our guest and what his experience was like during the recruiting process and what led him to make the decision that he made. He had 190 tackles, 10 interceptions, and five forced fumbles during his high school career. He was one of the best safeties in the state of Florida with 17 college offers. On December 16th, he signed his national letter of intent to attend and play for a Division I program where he will be enrolling this summer. Matthew Durant, welcome to this program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So in part one of the recruiting episode, I talked about the recruiting process, uh, what goes into the recruiting process, and what roles both the athlete and their parents play in that process. I had a high school football coach on to give us some information and his take on the process. So here in part two of the episode, I want to focus on what it is that the athlete goes through during that process and how you handle it. So when did the recruiting process start for you? It was after my junior year. It was literally right after our season ended, the day after Black Friday. And then probably two weeks later, that's when the schools start coming to your school. They'll start by, I guess, following you on Twitter. That's the main start. And then every once in a while, you'll get a DM or so. What they would do is you'd be in class, you'd get a knock on the door, and they'd pull you out of class, and they would just kind of talk to you mainly so they can actually look at you because I guess like anyone can say you know they're six foot two whatever 200 pounds but not everyone is actually six foot two 200 pounds they want to see for themselves so that's when it started to pick up a little and then at the end of December it I think a dead period went on some serious recruiting started probably mid-January it was a from a couple Ivy League schools because I I was pretty good or I still am pretty good academically that was a big thing for me so they would uh they were hitting me up, uh, inviting me to, I guess, junior days and stuff. And actually, the first visit I took was to Brown University. It was uh, it was their elite junior day, as they call it. So I got to go up there. They showed me around all that. That was that actually happened till mid February. And after that, so uh, Youngstown State, they got a new staff. And uh, I had originally been talking to their, one of their coaches, who's a coach at Cincinnati. And then he got the head coaching job at Youngstown State. And he already knew me. So he showed his defensive staff. They, I guess they fell in love and they called me up. It's like, hey, we want to offer you. After that first offer, that's when everything kind of starts to explode. Wow. So that, that sounds exciting. So what was that feeling like? You, you mentioned right after, uh, I guess it was around Black Friday or somewhere around there, you got that first offer. What was that feeling like when you got that very first offer? Did you expect to be getting an offer or, or were you were hoping to get one? What was that feeling like? 
So I heard rumors about how the offer process goes. I heard they usually like to talk to you on the phone. So it was like, it was sometime in March. I get a text after the whole, st- the whole, I mean, the whole defensive staff followed me on Twitter and they were all DMing me and all that. The defensive coordinator texted me. He's like, hey man, text me your number. I just want to save it on my phone. I was like, all right, sure. And then it was a, it was a Friday. He texted me that morning. He's like, hey, uh, whenever you get a chance tonight, can you give me a phone call? I was like, sure, I'd love to. It was about seven o'clock that night I ended up texting I was like hey you free now he goes yes so I called him it was it, was, it starts off with like small talk just asking how you are how, how school going all that and he's like well you know we uh we sat down as a staff and we watched your film and I mean man we fell in love and uh I want to offer you a scholarship to come here and I mean when he said that like your, your heart just drops you're like oh my god like you worked so hard for this and wow it, it finally came true so I mean it's an amazing feeling now, we, we talked in the beginning that you had 17 offers, and that's great. Congratulations, you know, first of all, for that. Thank you. What Thank is you. the process like in terms of recruiting? Not necessarily the, you know, this school, that school, but the the process of the recruiting process going. You mentioned you went to Brown, talked to coach from Youngtown State that was at Cincinnati. What is that entire process like when you're going through it? Um, not going to lie, it can be pretty stressful, but I get people say, and it is, it's good stress to have. I mean, especially this year is so hard. I couldn't go anywhere really after I think March. It's, it's a lot on, it's a lot on trust and building relationships over the phone. I mean, that's the biggest thing. If, if you feel you have a strong relationship over the phone and on FaceTime and all that, then at that point, you kind of have to go with your gut and say, all right, this is where I'm going. That's a good point that you brought up because you mentioned you couldn't really go anywhere, which leads me to my next point. How was the the process after the pandemic? Because as you mentioned, you know, you couldn't go anywhere. Coaches couldn't come see you. They couldn't, you know, come and watch you play and things like that. How restrictive was that process because of the pandemic? I mean, very restrictive. And I'll be honest, I have never met face-to-face my South Dakota State coaches. It's only been over FaceTime. I've been to the campus, but with the restrictions, they were not allowed to see me. That's how crazy it was. So how involved was your family in the recruiting process? In episode one, Coach Perez and I talked about, you know, ultimately the school was recruiting the athlete, but the parents should and can be involved in that process. So how involved in the recruiting process was your family? I'd say they were a huge part. It was like when the schools would reach out to me, the first thing they would ask was about how my family was doing. And a big thing they knew after talking to my mom a couple of times, they, they knew my mom is a huge like family person, wanted to make sure I'm going somewhere where it's another family. They made sure that I was going to a family, a big family, and I'll be protected and safe and all that. Keep her happy. And imagine as a re- as a recruit, that probably makes you feel good too, knowing that you're going to go somewhere, or at least you're thinking about going somewhere that has that family atmosphere. You're leaving one family atmosphere and it makes you feel comfortable committing to somewhere where that has that same atmosphere, I imagine. Yes, sir. Yes. That was probably up there with one of the biggest reasons why I chose where I wanted to go. Now, now we've talked uh, about different aspects of this, this recruiting process. In your mind or in your opinion, what is the best part of the recruiting process and what was the toughest part for you? The best part, honestly, it's meeting so many coaches and each of them giving you a perspective of something, whether it be life or the game. Like there's this one coach, I didn't end up going to his school, but like we still talk and he still gives me life tips and all that. So, I mean, that's something you keep with you the rest of your life. And for the hardest thing, it's picking one school because you build so many relationships and then you can't go everywhere. You have to, you can only pick one school. So it was hard, but I mean, at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you. 
Right. And I think that was a good point that you made that you said you didn't end up going to that coach's school, but you still stay in contact with them. And mm-hmm. I think one thing that athletes uh, may not think about or even realize is that you never know down the line where you may cross paths with that coach. So let's say two years into your college career, you may decide to transfer. You may go to a school that that coach mm-hmm. is at. Now, you may not go to that school because the coach is there or you might, but you never know where your paths are going to cross. So you build those relationships, as you mentioned earlier, because you never know down the line where your paths may cross again. And that could be a coach that can help you go even further into your career. So it's a great point that you brought up. Now, so what factors were involved in making the decision that you made to go to the school that you did decide to go to? So, I mean, the biggest thing was for me, like I could feel like I was at home away from home. And when I, uh, I took a, it was technically, it was called an admissions visit. It was through the, like uh, if I was a, a student just trying to go there. And as soon as I stepped, as soon as I landed in South Dakota, I was like, all right, I know it's not Florida, but I can feel myself being here for the next four years. Like it felt, you. they say, you know, as soon as you touch campus and I knew like, this is where I wanted to go. On the flip side of that, how difficult is it to, because you said earlier, you built relationships with so many other coaches. How tough is it to call a particular coach or email Mm -hmm. a particular coach, text them and say, hey, you know, we have a great relationship. I enjoy talking to you, but I've decided to make a decision at this particular school and I'm not going to come to school. How Mm -hmm. tough is it to do that? Uh, it, it was really hard. A lot of them. So what happened when I made the announcement on Twitter, either they would call me or they would text me and just and they would be like, congrats. Like, I wish I, I wish you could have came here, but we're happy for you. We want what's best for you. And it's just it's it's sad that you built something. And in the end, you couldn't make it work. But they they all are pretty understanding and they always want what's best for you. And that's what they tell you throughout the whole process. Do what's best for you. Now, you mentioned a lot about Twitter and a lot of the coaches because of the pandemic. And this is the way they recruit now because we're in, we're in that social media age. Mm-hmm. What was it about your social media that you paid a close attention to because you knew that this is the way in which you were going to be recruited? Because Coach Perez and I, we talked about in, in episode one about making sure players' social medias are clean, making sure there's nothing derogatory or, or offensive, anything like that, because coaches pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. So how much did you pay attention to that? How much did you focus on? I got to make sure that my mm-hmm. Twitter is clean, my Instagram is clean because the coaches are looking at me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So, I mean, my whole life, I, I always want to represent myself as perfect or whatever, as close to perfect as you can be. And I'd never, I'm big on my last name. I never want to put my last name out there as someone that's offensive or doing something bad. So my whole life, I've always told myself, like, I'm going to, you have to keep it clean. There's no reason not to. Like that's, I find it disrespectful to your last name. And then on the other side with the coaches, you want to make a good first impression. So you keep it clean and organized where it's easy to find stuff when they come looking for it. Yeah, you never want to have any of that stuff come back to bite you. And and, exactly. and we've all heard stories where, you know, guys and, and, and girls as well have lost scholarship offers because of things they've put mm-hmm. on social media, because coaches will sit there and, and look at a lot of that information and make their decisions whether or not they want to recruit a player based on what their social media looks like. Exactly. So what is your advice you would give any athlete that will be or is going through the recruiting process right now? You got to be honest with them. There's going to be a lot of ups and there's going to be a lot of downs. And there's probably going to be a point where you're like, what am I doing? Is it is it worth it? You have to at that moment, you have to tell yourself, yes, it is very worth it and keep going because when it does happen, it's the best feeling in the world. Matthew Durant, I think South Dakota State is getting a great player and a great person. I really appreciate you being on the show. Hopefully we'll get to have you on sometime soon in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And best of luck to you at South Dakota State. Go Jackrabbits. And I hope you have a great great season. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. 
As you heard Matt say during the interview, that family atmosphere that he had at home was something that he wanted at whatever college he decided to go to. So that was a huge factor in making the decision that he made. He also mentioned that his mom was very active in the recruiting process. As I discussed in part one of this episode, parents play a vital role in the recruiting process. Coaches want to get to know an athlete's parents during the recruiting process, and they may even observe you in the stands. They believe that supportive and encouraging parents can positively impact an athlete's process, but conversely, negative behavior, overbearing, and helicopter parenting can scare away coaches. Positive parent involvement is a key factor in coaches' decisions to recruit athletes. And I think it bears saying that as youth sports become more and more competitive, parents need to really use caution when engaging in their child's sports and realize their actions can directly impact the student-athlete's future. So your son or daughter is being recruited. They're being offered a scholarship or multiple scholarships. I'm sure you want to know if your son or daughter is going to be taken care of. So what questions should you ask? What should you know? So I have a list of five questions that you should ask your son or daughter's college coach. Number one, what does a day, a week, or a year in the life of one of your student athletes look like? As a parent, you want to know how rigorous a program's academic and athletic standards are. Coaches understand that you as a parent are interested in knowing what your child will be doing on a regular basis. Number two, what types of on and off campus activities are available to athletes? Every division level is different. Most top programs may not leave student athletes with much free time. Plenty of the D3 and NAIA schools offer athletes a chance to explore other extracurricular activities such as obtaining a part-time job, internship, or even study abroad. Number three, what type of academic support do athletes receive? Some schools offer additional services for student athletes, including mandatory recommended study hours, academic advisors, and tutors. Number four, what about scholarships and financial aid packages? As a parent, you should wait until a coach has expressed an offer before discussing how much athletic aid and academic or merit-based scholarships are preferable. You should ask what type of expenses must be covered, such as uniforms, equipment, or the cost of team trips. Number five, what are the next steps? No matter where your son or daughter is in the recruiting process, it's important for you as a parent to know what to expect and what to do next. Ask questions such as, will there be any follow-up visits? What paperwork or admissions-related info do we as a family have to fill out? Any important deadlines to be aware of? In part one, I talked about the financial aid aspect of the recruiting process. Here in part two, I want to finish that topic so that you as a family have the information that you need. Now, there are many different financial aid programs for students, things such as Stafford loans, Perkin loans, to PLUS loans. As a family, you need to know what the expected family contribution is. That's the amount of money you as a family are expected to and can contribute to your son or daughter's education. You'll have to fill out the FAFSA form, which is a free application for federal student aid, which is a financial program available for any family to fill out if your son or daughter is applying for financial aid at any school that receives federal grant money. That form has to be filled out. The FAFSA form is integrated with the IRS and matched up against your tax information. Please note, there are roughly 280 private schools that are also members of the CSS, which is a college scholarship service. That is a completely different form that needs to be filled out if your son or daughter is applying for financial aid at one of those schools. Check with your son or daughter's high school guidance counselor or their particular school of interest financial aid office for concise information on when forms are needed in the appropriate process. Now, there could be many reasons why college athletes fail, but I'm going to give you four common mistakes college athletes make that hurt their college career. Number one, student athletes choose the wrong school socially for them. Some schools are too big, others are too small. Some schools are too far away from home, others are too close. Some schools don't have enough activities outside of school to do. Number two, student athletes choose the wrong school academically. Perhaps the school was too difficult with many required courses that were simply too hard or demanded too much of their time. 
As I mentioned in part one of the episode, it's nothing for a student athlete to have a 12-hour day, so it can be very challenging to get the schoolwork done. If a student athlete has a major such as engineering, chemistry, or physics, those programs require long hours in the classroom as well as the labs that student athletes simply cannot miss. Number three, student athletes lose their financial aid. Financial aid is reviewed each year and can often fluctuate without notice or warning from year to year. One year you could be getting, say, $10,000. The next year you may only qualify for maybe $5,000. Athletic scholarship money is also evaluated year to year. At the coach's discretion, he or she can remove your aid, reduce your aid, or even increase your aid from year to year. Number four, student athletes sign with the wrong program. Many student athletes select programs because they think they're, quote, the best program, but they have little regard or they think very little about how many players are on the team and how many other players the coach has signed or is recruiting. So those are just a few common mistakes college athletes make that cause their college career to fail. As we close out, I'd like to talk about some interesting facts and figures about the college athletic recruiting process. Per the U.S. Department of Education, nationally, 68 out of 100 ninth graders will graduate from high school, 40 will enter college directly, 27 are still enrolled in college in their second year, and 18 will graduate from college. 40% of all D1 and D2 athletic scholarship recipients do not graduate from the original college they enroll in within six years. The Ivy League is the only basketball conference in the country that plays its games back-to-back on Friday and Saturday nights to minimize missed class time. Another fact and figure, a recent study by the CDC found that more sports injuries for youth athletes result from basketball, which is 168,691 a year, more than any other sport. There were 30,000 more basketball injuries reported than reported in football. That was based on ER visits. Now, they could be because many football players don't report their injuries, so that could be why that figure is skewed. Here's another stat. The Northeastern University Center for the Study of Sport and Society found that of African-American teens, 66% believe they will ultimately play pro ball, which is twice the percentage of white teens. Only 2.5% will actually play in the NBA for at least one year. So those are just some interesting facts and figures to think about as you go through the recruiting process. What are the three takeaways from today's show? Athletes, make sure that you make the best decision for you academically as well as athletically. Take your time during the recruiting process and enjoy it. You only go through it once. Number two, stay in touch with college coaches and recruiters. Build a strong relationship with them so that it improves your chances of being recruited and offered a scholarship. Number three, parents, ask college coaches and recruiters questions so that you and your son or daughter can make an informed decision and find out what your responsibility may be financially. Once again, I'd like to thank Matthew Durant for joining the show and offering his experience about what the recruiting process was like for him. I wish him the best at the college level. If you're an athlete and you have a friend or a teammate that will be or is going through the recruiting process, I encourage you to forward them this episode. Also, I encourage you to have them listen to part one of the recruiting episode. If you're a parent, have your son or daughter listen to both part one and part two. Also, I ask that you forward this episode on to other parents of youth athletes. You can follow the show on Instagram at Beyond the Lines Podcast, all one word, and also Twitter at underscore Beyond the Lines. Please tune in next week when I'll be discussing youth athletes and strength training. Thank you for listening. Take care.